Welcome to the Modern Hippie Podcast, where we dive deep into illuminating discussions about psychedelics, holistic wellness, consciousness, unlocking our true potential, and so much more. I'm your host, Barrett Perlman, a former pro wakeboarder turned psychedelic breakthrough coach and healing guide. Together, we'll challenge boundaries, ignite our inner fire, and awaken to the infinite possibilities that life has to offer. This is not merely a podcast. It's an invitation to embrace a life brimming with authenticity and purpose. So get out your cosmic compass, open your hearts, and let's embark on this exhilarating journey of self-discovery and transformation together. Welcome to the tribe, my fellow modern hippie. Welcome back to the Modern Hippie Podcast. I am joined today by Ivan Hernandez, who is a launch, growth, and change consultant, having worked with brands such as Abbott, Red Bull, Muscle Milk, and Quest Bar, and is also a best-selling author and health mentor. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. It's so cool to connect after so many years. Yeah, you and I got to know each other back in my days as a professional wakeboarder, and you were at Muscle Milk at the time, and we were talking about working together and doing a little bit of, of exchange there. And so gosh, that must've been 12, 13 years ago. Yeah. A uh, long time ago. And uh, yeah, it was cool to reconnect because we were both in completely different times and places in our lives. And, and, and now after so many years, it's, it's like meeting a whole different person and introducing you to a whole different person that I didn't even know. <laughs> I just met myself a couple months ago. So it, mm. I mean, at least it certainly feels that way. I totally, I feel like I just met myself in the last five years. <laughs> Cheers to that. Yeah. Yeah. We are always such evolving creatures and I love that, you know, there's, I, I never believed it when people said it back then when I was in my 20s and people were like, you don't really know yourself or discover yourself till you're in your 30s and blah, blah, blah. And um, now that I'm towards the end of my 30s, I'm like, oh, shit, they were right. They were right. Yeah. Yeah, that's for sure. Life happens and um, you just go through the motions. Mm. Life has, happens with a lot of different adjustments and mm. but it's. It's, it's all good. That's why we're here. That's why we're reconnected. Right. Yeah. Now we're both focused on this, this self-healing journey, this mental health space. And so something happened for you between when I met you and uh, only just, a, I'm sure, a couple years later. But what triggered your interest in, in the mental health space? Well, I... As a kid, uh, as, as a baby, I was born with a congenital heart defect. And my the doctors handed me to my mother and said, this baby most likely will not make it. Mm-hmm. And it was that severe of a defect. And then to their surprise and everyone's surprise, I just survived. And my valve started to, I had a valve problem, started to behave. And sometimes they call these issues dynamic because they can get better or worse over time, or sometimes you feel symptomatic, sometimes you don't. Uh, So I had a little bit of all that going on, but nonetheless, as a kid, I don't know anything, right? I'm just, I just want to go out and play. And so I grew up playing almost every single sport 
I even did Taekwondo. I was a boy scout. So we hiked a lot. And as far as I was concerned, I didn't have anything going on. But uh, later on in my adult life, around my 30s, when I was in New York, at like in the pinnacle of my career, you know, feeling that way too, walking around the city, feeling like, you know, working out like sometimes two times a day, which I don't recommend for anybody. But, uh, you know, it just felt like you're on top of the world. You, New York is a great place to live, especially when you're young. Um, you feel like the world is your oyster and you're like there in it. Uh, in the mm-hmm. city of opportunity. And I was at the a really great place in my career. And I was surprised by the news that I had to have heart surgery. So they finally had to go in and re- re- try to repair the valve. And so I had heart surgery. And then um, a couple months later, the repair failed to everyone's surprise. Mm-hmm. And I had to have a second heart surgery, which is a lot of trauma on the body and on the heart. Uh, and this time they had to replace the valve, which is a more intense procedure than a repair. And that surgery just really spun everything out of control because it was a really complicated surgery, meaning with literal complications. And so for the first time in my life, I was symptomatic and Mm. feeling weak and dizzy and, um, the things that heart patients feel and it just freaked me out and from that point on i had feelings of existential doom and you know when they say i felt like the whole world was spinning uh, mm. i never really knew what people meant by that it's kind of a metaphor but i i never really knew what people meant by that but i i it really did feel like the world was spinning i was completely disoriented and that led to some really heavy mental health stuff um, we like jumped right in it. I like went for the jugular here, um, <laughs> but the, it's it's such a it's it's a it's a long journey and story of what got me to that point. Mm-hmm. Um, especially since I was always like that with all the cultural layers, you know, that you can assume that exist in my life, including like religion and um, ethnicity, all the stuff that not just me but a lot of people have grown up with all those cultural layers kind of like suppressed ever showing vulnerabilities. And so for the first time ever, I had no choice because it was hard to function and Mm. I had to show my vulnerabilities and my weaknesses. And, and yeah, that's where the journey began. Wow. And how long was it after the the heart surgery that they knew you had the, the second one? It was just under four years. And my mind was prepared for it to be, you know, they tell you when they repair or replace your valve, any heart valve, this should last you a good, on average, 8, 10, 12, sometimes some people have even seen 20 years in in rare cases Mm -hmm. where you don't have to address it again Uh, because, you know, a repaired or replaced valve can only last for so long compared to your original, you know, human valve because they replace mm. valves with like pigs valves and horses valves and cow valves and um but yeah it was just in their four years and that's a lot of trauma two open heart surgeries on the heart within a four-year span is a lot of intervention yeah. in an organ that is not supposed to ever see any kind of inf- intervention like that mm, I, exactly and that is so traumatic on our bodies when we get cut into um i recently had a a a client who had had heart surgery and we were doing a lot of energy healing work around her 
healing the bones they had to break to get in there. And, um, you know, our, our bodies really remember that trauma and we may just think it's surgery and we heal, but there's a disconnection of the energy flows that happens in all of that as well. That really takes some, some care and some expansion into and allowing for the healing to, to invite the healing to maybe even get help with the healing. And so to hear that you had it again within four years, like, um, my, my heart hurts for your heart. You know, that's also like the send our main energy center. That's where we broadcast everything out from. It's more active even than our brains. And, and so, wow. So don't, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Um, you're, it, it just everything you said is means so so much to me uh and before all of this happened if you were to have told me what you just said i would have thought it sounded really nice and that those were beautiful words right and but i wouldn't really i wouldn't really take a moment to to take that in but everything you touched on is so real and so true and you know when you think about our, our center and, and all that sort of stuff, right? I, I was not the, the type of person to meditate. I was that annoying person that was like, I don't have time for that. Um, I, I was really sort of on, on a living on a very sort of superficial level. Right. And, mm. and I don't hate myself or blame myself or anybody who is living that way. Right. Because unfortunately, sometimes trauma gives us that reality check of finally connecting with ourselves. And, um, you know, just to touch on that point real quickly, I, I'm today, I do feel grateful for that trauma and we, we can get into that, um, because of what I went through and how I went through it, but everything you just said, and I noticed in a lot of your other podcasts, it's interesting how much, uh, you tend to reference the word heart, uh, in a more metaphorical sense, like, you know, we'll get to the heart of this, um, talking about the heart being your center and all these different things. And, um, it, it, I remember the moments where I would walk around, try to get out of my house, um, while going through the mental health recovery, which involved PTSD and agoraphobia, which is fear of leaving the house. I didn't even know what that meant until I went through it and, and all those different things. I remember making, trying to make the effort to get out of my house, even if it's just to walk around the block and not encountering anybody. And I was walking extra hunched over because as a heart patient, you tend to feel so vulnerable where anything that touches you, or if somebody were to bump into you, um, or if you were to just fall or, or slightly trip over, you know, sidewalk or something, where you're, you're, you're so exposed and you mm. feel so fragile, um, to the point where it's, when you have PTSD and agoraphobia, you feel so fragile while recovering that, um, you just can't even function because you feel like everything is a threat and it's mm. very irrational and it's such a mind, you know, it's just, it's just a mind fuck when you're, when you're, when you realize that you're not yourself and you can't change it, it's especially when you're 
such an A-type and sort of a control freak like I used to be. And you're like, I, I, what's happening to me? How, how do I get out of this? And, and, and you just can't. You can. And I have a whole list of resources that I learned about, but you, in the moment you feel like you can't. Yes. I, I think that applies to so many situations when, when we find ourselves not who we know ourselves to be. Um, you know, I can relate to, uh, I got into a really toxic relationship when I was 21 with a, a narcissist and, um, he was another pro athlete in a different sport and, and lived in a different state and had taken me from being this like alpha type pro athlete myself to someone who was so scared to leave the house without his permission because he had deep Hispanic roots and he was very machismo in a lot of how he operated. And he would, I would be on the phone with him like, oh, I'm going out to dinner with my girlfriends. He'd be like, no, you're not. And I'd be jumping out of a moving taxi, leaving our driveway to like not go out to dinner with my friends, you know? And wow. <clears throat> excuse me. Yeah. To then get into therapy and have that, that same recognition of who the heck am I right now? I am not who I remember being. This is not me. This is a warped sense of self. Yeah. Yeah. And so what were, what are three of your favorite tools to overcome that, that you discovered? I'm going to be kind of annoying and give you more than three, if that's okay. Sure. Because I have to mention, I, I have to mention that the first one, I, I was, a, I mean, let me start with a disclaimer that I was always the kind of person having worked, especially with brands like Abbott and Muscle Milk and Quest Bar, I was always this very physically active uh, person that would not want to take medications uh, to heal, right? I was the kind of person who, if I had a headache, I was going to sustain it for as long as I could without taking anything. I was just going to hydrate or whatever. Mm. It had to be really bad or get to a really bad point before I popped a Tylenol or anything. Um, but what I learned going through that and talking to a lot of experts, so I gave up the first one, uh, therapy, talking to, uh, psychologists and psychiatrists. Um, I remember at one point I had gone to the emergency room like 11 times telling the doctors, my heart's going to explode. I mean, not in those words, but something's happening. I'm having a heart attack or whatever. I'm freaking out and constantly thinking that something was wrong with my heart. And this one doctor came into the emergency room and it was like the first doctor who actually I felt was listening to me, not listening to what I was saying, but really listening to me. And I could tell when I was describing what I was going through, she was not looking just at me. She was almost like looking through me in a good way. Mm -hmm. And she came back into the room and said, hey, so it's not your heart. It's your head. Mm. And I'll never forget, she even pointed. And as intuitive as I thought I was with my own health, you know, helping and marketing around the health of people all over the world with these brands, I had a moment, I, I had a real epiphany when she told me that. And I remember sitting back in the hospital bed and realizing she's, she's right. 
and of course all the different the way we're raised and all the different the, the way at least people within our generations are are raised we most of us were trained to trade raised to talking to an athlete i keep using the word like trained and all these like <laughs> <laughs> um most of us were raised to not share those share the fact that we're going through mental health struggles i think everyone knows that today and so when she told me that i was so ready to not only admit to it because i just wanted out of that feeling that i was having but ready mm -hmm. to embark on this journey and i i i told myself in that moment i'm going to just call in all powers of the universe to try to get out of this and feel better because you know going to the emergency room all the time um i got rid of my car because i was afraid of going anywhere without someone in the car so i only ubered and lifted because i needed someone to be there in case something happened mm. uh, i was making big life decisions um, I started to consult from home. That's actually a good life decision that I was able to make because I transitioned out of the corporate world into working for myself and uh, learned a, a whole lot about that. About, I mean, it just changed my entire life on many different levels. And so professionally, I was able to make that adjustment and I think be a better person uh, and consultant in general. But going back to the core of the question, I have to kind of give that big disclaimer because I learned to seek therapy to learn what it is I was going through and to realize from experts that it was normal because the whole time I thought I was not normal, right? I'm interacting with my friends and with my family and I'm feeling like no one gets me or will get me if I describe everything I'm going through. And so I needed to talk to therapists. And so that was one tool is being open to speaking with all psychiatrists, psychologists, anyone, and admitting that I needed help. Mm -hmm. And then the second one was, in order to take on the other like eight tools that I have in my toolbox, I won't go through all of them right now, but in order to go through this second one, uh, I needed medication to give me the opportunity to leave the house, to then develop those routines or go back to those routines that I was used to getting or going through. And so I, I wasn't in a state where I could leave the house without uh, completely having a, a a meltdown where it was a total anxiety attack, uh, you know, shortness of breath and the feeling like I was going to pass out. Uh, and so Medical professionals, the medications were a necessary evil to me, but medications are not evil. Uh, like one therapist told me, it's not a failure when you have to take medication. Um, of course, the obvious, we don't ever want to abuse it or become hooked on medications, right? But it was a necessary evil to be able to say, okay, in a very managed sense, let me do this to get me here. And once I get here and become stronger, then I'm going to start to wean off of this stuff immediately. And I did. Immediately, I have to use that very wisely because it wasn't immediate. I tried to wean off a lot of times way too early. 
but my goal was to wean off and, and I did. So, and then the other tools were transcendental meditation. Uh, I learned about tapping, uh, with mm. on point. So, um, tapping was just really interesting, uh, and pretty revolutionary in terms of what it could do. Um, if you couldn't meditate, it was like a shortcut. It just was a physical way of like, you know, reminding yourself to tap into yourself, uh, in the moment and Reiki healing. I tried for the first time. Mm. Um, and, uh, I got a dog and mm. so I kind of went through all, I think all eight of them at this point, but I got a dog for the first time and, and that was special because instead of waking up every day and f focusing on my heart's going to explode, I was, you know, where did you pee or poop or, right. It was just different. <laughs> yeah. You got to go out. <laughs> or, yeah. Yeah. And you have to leave the house and for, for someone, for something else. And so, um, all of those things, I think, like formulaically really helped me overcome the worst time of my life. I I love those. Those completely resonate with me as well. And I, it seems like I'm going to keep using this comparison of this toxic relationship that I had for, as a, a parallel, but that was my beginning to discovering many of the same things. I mean, I, I first got in therapy when I was eight years old, um, but at this time when I was 21, I got with a really good therapist and I remember she showed me the cycle of abuse and I went, holy shit, other people, I'm not alone. This is a thing. This is, it's such a thing that people made like graphs and stuff about the cycle of how abuse works and similar to your, your understanding of someone else understands what I'm going through and now they can help navigate it. And I too needed medication and I too had to, you know, I don't, embark on the necessary evil of um, enough to be able to get out of the house and to go to class. I couldn't even go to my classes anymore. I was just like holed up in my, I had to get, you know, my therapist to write a note to all my teachers to allow them to, to get them to allow me to make up missed work and stuff so I could still pass my classes. And then again, it was like uh, energy healing eventually came into my life and so I, I love these tools that you discovered. And I, I think that you frame even the beginning steps of therapy and medication are so crucial for people who are just at that, that like red zone state, as Caesar Milan, the dog whisperer yeah. would call it like that, that red zone. There's no, there's no changing what you're doing without immediate tools to help. Uh, absolutely. I, you know, you made me think of the, one of the things that I learned was when my therapist, when, when she said those words to me, it's not a failure. Mm. When I said one time in passing to her, uh, that I had to take, uh, I had to take Ativan for an episode that I was having, but I said it in a way with that I was really bummed about right? I was hard on myself about. And she said, wait, 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 we stop right there. It's not a failure. And mm -hmm. she helped me realize that it was just part of the journey. And, you know, beating myself up when I took, whenever I had to take medication was not helping me, right? I wasn't loving sure. myself and showing support for myself at a time when I really needed to support myself. And, and that was a big realization because 
from that moment, I started to really think about that, right? Have I ever stopped and not, not had, not, not been like proud of what I've done, right? Um, Cause I think pride to a certain extent is healthy, right? We all have to think like, hey, you know what? I am valuable. Um, I did work hard on this. I deserve this, right? Cause most of us, especially with this sort of barometer of social media every day in, in our, at our fingertips, mm-hmm. compare that to everything else. And it's then, if that's the case, then it's never enough. And so, you know, we, we have to stop and just think about ourselves and what our individual scenario and journey has been and been like, Hey, you know what? Congratulations. Like you're good. That's great. Um, now, I mean, when, when you get to an ego part, then you have to check yourself, right? That's different. <laughs> but like from, from a healthy sort of pat on the back, love yourself way. I've never thought about working on that and, you know, checking my ego, but also loving myself and maintaining that really healthy balance where, mm. you know, I'm, I'm also allowing other people to come in and, and, and know enough about me to like show the type of love that I need and vice versa, where then that trust is developed and then I can, they can open up and I can show that love because I've, I was never an emotional guy before all of this. And so I wouldn't even use these words, right? They were very cheesy to me. And, but it's, it's life and we need each other. We're communal beings. So mm-hmm. without going too far on that rant, um, what you were saying made me realize that you're an athlete, you're a professional athlete, right? The last person that the average person would imagine uh, going through a difficult relationship with this A-type, you know, abusive type of individual, it, it's like, wait, but you're an athlete, right? Like this powerful female figure and uh, nothing's going to stop her, right? But we're all, we're all human. And so, and we all, what I learned in, and I don't mean this in a negative way, is we all sort of have like we're all vulnerable enough to go through like a short circuit in our minds. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know for sure where my short circuit right happened. It could be, have been from the heart and lung machine. It could have been from medications I was given because that I needed for the surgery. It could have been a combination of both. Um, it, it, it could have been a number of things. Robin, Robin Williams story is an interesting one. He, he had the same exact surgery that I had and in his own way, right. In his Robin Williams way, he was in interviews describing what he was going through. And he's like, I don't know every I'm paraphrasing, but he said, um, I don't know what happened to me after that, but everything I do, uh, I am so emotional. I want to cry all the time. Mm-hmm. And when I don't know him personally, I've met his family and, and I don't know him personally. I never met him. And I don't want to say that I know what he went through, but I, some of the things he described were things that I would describe very, very similarly after my surgery. And so I say that because something with heart patients and not just with heart patients, but probably with any sort of trauma, uh, sort of short circuits, right? I don't know if the body's mm-hmm. like neurological system or 
physiologic physiological you know way of working i don't i don't know how to describe it scientifically um something goes is off and the only way sometimes to right set that is to intervene and so that you can start to feel like yourself and gain that strength and then be able to function properly and then a beautiful thing about knowing all those resources today I had never experienced transcendental meditation, Reiki healing, tapping, etc. But the beautiful thing about learning all those things and having them in my toolbox now is that collectively all of those things will help me, will overpower and help me wean off of medications when I do need them, mm -hmm. if I ever need them again. Mm. And now I'm, I'm less scared of going through something like that again because I actually... I know the tools. The scary part was not knowing what to do, who to turn to, where to go. That was the scary thing that all the things I, I, I learned about, I didn't even know they existed other than therapy. Mm -hmm. I didn't even know they existed. I didn't know there were, there were, there were meds for, for episodes, right? People joked about Xanax, but it's, it's real hardcore need when you are on the brink of having a complete meltdown. Like I remember one day I was sitting in a client's home, this beautiful mansion in Beverly Hills um, for a potential new client after my second surgery. And it would be my first client that I would re-sign after going through all of that. So mm -hmm. not only was I very nervous, I was I had a lot to gain, um, mm -hmm. but in my eyes to lose as well. And I'm sitting there I had Ubered my way because I didn't have a car because I felt like I needed to go to the hospital all the time. And I was sitting there and I was about to have a complete and utter panic attack, anxiety attack. And had it not been for, and all the feelings were happening and this client would have walked out and I would have been having, you know, been hyperventilating and not to laugh about it, but I would have been going through all of that in his home and, um, you know, and then you think of the embarrassment and all the other things that come along with it, right? But I wouldn't be going through all that if it weren't for learning about how and when to use this medication, not overuse it, because then it's weaker. And then it wouldn't have the effect that I needed at that point of losing it when you take it and it's effective. You know, not, oh, today I feel a little uneasy. Let me pop one. Right. It's making sure that you use it during those moments when, and so... I take Xanax and Adamant very seriously because it was really effective when you're about to just completely lose it, not um, every day to sort of, you know, keep you even killed. I'm not a doctor. I don't want to speak to that. Some people need, you know, small doses just to like start to get them off edge to get to some point. A doctor can tell you what to do and how to do it, but that was my personal experience with it. Hmm. Very wisely said. Yeah, but so so wisely said. And and I think that there are some great medical tools out there when you are like in that red zone again. And and hearing you talk about, you know, seeking out the tools, it, it reminds me um that like you know, 14 years ago or whatever, when we met, I I wasn't someone who knew about this stuff either. And it takes oftentimes going through these these radical 
changes in our life, these, these radical lows to really find the tools that actually help us not only stay up, but evolve into a, a good mental health state, a great mental health state. And, um, you know, from a shamanic perspective about your energy healing and an energy healer perspective, you know, I had surgery a couple of years ago to remove my fallopian tubes and it was my only really big surgery, but I got a chance to understand, a, and I was already an energy healer at that point too. So to really understand what happens when we're cut open and those lines are severed and, and for instance, I'm sure they removed your old valve in order to put a new one in. And something I felt my body doing was was my other organs were reaching out to grab for what was now missing. And my organs in my body were actually mourning this, this space that they could energetically still feel the fallopian tubes, but they could no longer feel them. And a lot of my swelling, it felt like, was just coming out from them reaching out, constantly trying to find this, this part of me that was now missing. And I did a whole, a whole ceremony and energy work with a fellow, my, my sister, who's an energy healer and massage therapist as well. And, and we went in there and really brought together some more of the energies and together she had me breathe into releasing some of the stuck pain and trauma from the surgery from, and, um, I even wrote a, a poem an ode to my fallopian tubes and went through a whole thing of reconnecting with my organs and letting them know that we were still safe and we were going to continue on and we were still going to love the fallopian tubes, even though they were no longer with us. And those sorts of things, they, I, you know, I went from, I did that energy healing work probably five days after surgery, four days after surgery, which was perhaps a little too soon. And um, I, I only say too soon because there was a lot of pain that came up during the surgery and or during the massage energy session. And after an hour and a half, when I went to get up to to walk home, um, I was blacking out. And I actually I spent half an hour trying to get up and walk, and I couldn't. And finally, I ended up vomiting, which in the the medicine world is a way of purging. And after I purged, I felt great. I walked myself the, the six blocks home and I, I still was kind of fragile that day and started to worry if we had done more damage than good. Um, but the next day I woke up and I was a mile ahead instead of two steps backwards. And to, to me, that really spoke to the power of, of bringing your body back online, bringing in that love and that grace for ourselves and reconnecting with those organs and allowing them space. And so the the download I'm getting from about your heart is that, that those similar steps could be very helpful, um, especially for someone recently out of surgery, perhaps not the massage, but um, the energy healing and bringing those energy lines because, you know, cutting into your heart is a, you're breaking your major energy lines. You're breaking them apart to get in there and do that. And so to, to bring them back together, it's just like this massive trauma that occurred to your body that, of course, you want to cry. Of course. Your body's like, what the yeah. fuck just happened? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so well said. I love that. Uh, I'm, I mean, I'm sorry that you went through that, but the experience mm -hmm. is very, very, very relatable. Um. And you made me think of a client of mine who went to 
I think ayahuasca like three times in his life. And when he came back from, I think it was the first one, he, he asked me, do you love your heart? Mm. And this was like in the middle of one of our meetings, like work meetings. And I said, well, what do you mean? And I was in work mode. So my brain was like not shifting yet. Right. So I had to go there and I said, what do you mean? And he said, exactly what I'm asking you. Do you love your heart? And the answer was no, Mm -hmm. but I had never asked myself that question. And when you talk about your organs feeling like there's something missing, right? And you, you, you made me think about that moment where I realized that I was not in this whole mindset of showing myself some self-love and not just pushing and pushing and pushing my body and my mind. And, you know, it's never enough. Ah, um, which by the way, I don't believe in any hustle culture stuff, but we won't get into that right now. Um, you, you need days off. That's all I'll say to that. But I thought to myself, I was actually the complete opposite towards my heart. I was always thinking that's the thing that's messing me up. That's the thing that didn't let me uh, join the Marines because I was going Mm -hmm. to be a Marine. I was going to study military law uh, almost right out of high school. That's the thing that didn't let me do that because they literally disqualified me. The military doctor did. That's the thing that when I was going to join the Navy as a comms, a head of communications or public relations or whatever they, they called it, uh, they that's the thing that disqualified me from going in as an officer and doing that and working for the White House in this capacity. After my resume had been passed around the whole office, you know, that's the thing that kept me from that. So that's the thing that as a kid made everyone always ask me like 10 times annoyingly, are you sure you want to go on that roller coaster ride? Are you sure you want to go in that haunted house? Uh, Don't scare your cousin because he has a heart issue. Uh, Are you sure you want to keep running cross country? And I'm like, why is everyone doubting me? Right. As a kid, you're like, yes, I'm fine. Leave me alone. Mm -hmm. But you know, my heart is the thing that's worked against me all my life. And Mm -hmm. suddenly he made me realize, oh man, I've never thought to like in loving myself, literally like nurturing myself and my heart and not just fueling it with good stuff, but feeling like having, giving it that physiological, neurological impact of nurture, just like I do with healthy foods and exercise, like all the dimensions of the human body. Like I've not done any of the other stuff, including loving it. And so I'm like, you know, for me, it was always like this imposter in my body and in my life. And and I changed that mindset. What a powerful shift. Yeah, because not only did you not love your heart, you were constantly directing negativity towards it. You know, constantly. Yes. Recreating that, that series of potential hiccups by going, oh my God, it's so annoying. Like it's just the heart, the heart, it's not well. It's, it's, it'll be fine. It'll be fine. It'll, come on, step up. 
Um, and you're so right. It wasn't just not showing it love. It was directing negative energy towards it. You're absolutely right. I recently had a client who I worked with in ceremony and she had a, she'd suffered a broken neck and they went in and removed one of her vertebrae. Um, she had a crash surfing and they removed part of her vertebrae, put in a fake one and fused parts of her neck together. And a year later, she was, um, she was doing much better. You know, she's a fitness coach and all that. And she was still, you know, constantly worried about, oh, I don't know, you know, I'm doing things, but only until we'll see what my neck can handle. We'll see what my neck can handle. And we went in um, with the mushrooms and, and sent love and acceptance to the parts that were instilled in her, to the parts that went missing and invited the parts that they implanted to, to become part of her and invited her body to accept those and, and sent it love and sent it gratitude for having healed and all those things. And what happened very quickly after that was she began to realize she could push the boundaries and she started to realize like, you know what, I'm not afraid that my neck is going to hurt, but we're going to go until it does because I don't actually know if it's going to. And and that shift of sending love and inviting it all to integrate and really sitting with it, um, she now it's a year after that and she no longer thinks about her neck at all. Um, so she very quickly stepped into that. My neck is no longer a problem. My neck is resolved. Like we are good. We are all online. And I think I love hearing that. Go ahead. I love hearing that. I I've always heard of this way of thinking. Um, not always, but the, the few times I've heard of this way of thinking has been from that. My client shared and that you just shared have been from cancer patients who mm -hmm. think about the cells in their body and sort of mm -hmm. befriend and nurture and, and, you know, again, just not the physical aspect of what we can control, right. In terms of being healthy, doing healthy things, you know, taking medications, but also just the other dimensions of our bodies. Um, and, and, and it's interesting when you break them apart into dimensions where how, how much we naturally just tend to ignore Mm -hmm. And what you're describing is, is a really powerful thing because it also empowers mindset and helps you feel, um, feel more in control of the things you're doing and not just the things that are happening to your body, but that, you know, you are doing everything possible dimensionally, um, for your body. And that in itself just feels really good too, mm -hmm. to know, well, Hey, I I've explored everything. One of my favorite tricks for when I'm getting sick or when I start to not feel well is, is directly in alignment with this as well, where, you know, when you start to feel your throat a little swollen or you just notice you're a little low and we go, oh no, I'm getting sick. Oh no, I hope I'm not getting sick. Oh no, let me take something. I hope I'm not getting sick. And we run that constant cycle of negativity directed at the sickness. I love to sit around and go, oh. I am, I am perfectly healthy. My immune system is strong and I am healthy. My immune system is strong and I am healthy. And I like never get sick anymore, knock on wood. Um, it, it's been a, a wild change because also those thoughts too is like thinking my immune system is strong immediately goes in and starts to boost your immune system. Like your immune system's like, fuck yeah, we are. We're fucking strong. I'm going to show up as strong today, you know, and I am healthy. Yep, I am healthy, immune system strong.
good to go. I'm I'm going to do that on a plane because every time someone sneezes, I'm like holding my breath or, you know, <laughs> I, I just, so I'm going to totally do that on a plane. Like that sneeze is not coming for me. I'm going to just like create a mantra. <laughs> yeah. And it's not even, so see how, so there's something too about phrasing it in the positive versus the negative. So like you said, that sneeze is not coming for me. That's a, a negatively phrased way, right? So instead my immune system is super strong. Like I'm superhuman. My immune system's super strong. That makes a lot of sense. That makes mm-hmm. a lot of sense. You know, sorry, were you going to say something? I was something? just going to ask a, a question and to go down another rabbit go, hole, go I hope. <laughs> go ahead, go ahead. And so you you discovered all of these beautiful tools. You finally get on the, the path to leaving your house, to rediscovering your own power. At what point did you realize that you had now that you now wanted to help others with this? It it was a journey. I I think the I have to think about this for a second because once I started to feel better, I, I felt the need to, I felt the need to learn more and this is going to sound a little dumb, but I really felt the need, like if I was going to go out there and share my story and try to help anybody I needed to exhaust the toolbox of things that could help one get over this stuff. And to give you an example of what that means, of what I mean, is one of the things that I found when I started to Google um, anxiety attack hacks, something like that, Mm. because again, in my goal of weaning off the medication and only focusing on the natural holistic stuff, because I was so keen on that, because that's, that was in my DNA from day one, I found or came across this one hack that was, that said, watch funny cat videos. And I did, I, I did everything on that list. And one of them was watch funny cat videos. And it was specific cat videos. So I just YouTube funny cat videos and I started to watch them. And I found myself sitting there for like an hour watching funny cat videos and I'd go to the next funny cat video. And do you want to watch this one? And so I'd watch the next one. And I just found myself watching funny cat videos and feeling really good mm-hmm. and relaxed. And then one of the times that I found myself almost having a really bad anxiety attack, I said, instead of reaching for my medication, which was on my keychain at this point because I was mm. really scared. Um, I'm going to watch funny cat videos. And same scenario, similar scenario. I was sitting down waiting for a client. And I was, I'm never nervous about my job or public speaking or anything like that. But again, I'm not myself. So I'm losing it for everything, mm. losing who I was for everything. And so I went and watched funny cat videos and it worked. 
instantaneously. So, wow. or within the same minutes that a med that medication would have helped, it actually worked. Um, it hijacked or intercepted the symptoms that I was having leading up to a panic attack. And then I started to exercise these little hacks that were more natural. And then I, that took me into resetting or recalibrating all of my contents and how I, how I saw content in the world, right? These cat videos. So I went in and instead of having my content on TV, streaming, social consume me, right? I turned the tables and started to consume it. Mm -hmm. And so I got rid of cable. So I don't have any news, right? So when I turn my TV on, I have to go in physically and find something that I want to watch. I don't have something just shot at me, right? Blaring. And most of the time it's news. And then I'm just caught in that cycle. And this has been for years now. And that scenario applied to everything, to my social media, to everything I do. So once I found myself in a place where I felt more, more like a mentor and, 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 and less like a patient, not that there's anything wrong with a patient sharing their story. I should have shared mine earlier because the vulnerability is key to getting better and helping other people realize that there's a community of people, but I was probably too still ego tied for that. Um, once I felt like, wow, I have a lot of stuff here that I have tried and proven on myself that I feel comfortable sharing with other people. I need to do this because people are literally dying mm. and not from heart issues because there's a ton of medication and procedures and stuff out there that saves lives left and right, but they're taking their own lives because mm. they don't feel like themselves. And something as simple, and I don't want to oversimplify mental health because I know very well that it's not this simple, but to see that something as like mundane as a funny cat video could have the power to stop an anxiety attack. I was like, what else are we missing? Mm -hmm. And that's the journey that I, that I've taken and I'm still on, but now I'm out there with the American Heart Association as an ambassador speaking uh, to patients and speaking to uh, donors and corporations and executives um, who can relate to my story of being in the streets of New York, thinking that the world is my oyster. And then from one day to the next, all of that changes. And so not only do I feel like I have a life's calling and a mission to help people who are going through something really deep to help save lives. But I also want to go on this mission to help people develop this toolbox. And you know this really well, Barrett, probably better than I do in what you do to give people this toolbox and the knowledge to, so that if they ever go through something like this again, and there's a lot of heart patients in the world, it's a number one disease, but if they ever go through something like this, that they have this preventive means, that they're not spiraling outside of the doctor's office, forgetting where they are, who they are, and who to go to, because they don't know any about any of these tools. And, you know, that they're not woo-woo out there type of stuff that you shouldn't have time for. It's stuff that's going to make you like a really powerful human being. Hmm. 
I love that you describe it that way, especially as it relates to meditation. It's like the thing that people are like, oh, I'm too busy or oh, I, I can't calm my mind. I'm not that kind of person. Well, like no one can calm their mind in the beginning. That's not how it works. But there are so many different kinds of meditations that you can find one that works for you. And even just paying attention to the instructions is enough. And what you get, the bandwidth inside of your head that you get, the way that you can transform your life, your body, your energy, what you bring into your field simply through something that's free, meditation. Like it is one of the most powerful tools we have available on offer. I was talking to a client the other day who's really struggling with her um, happiness. And, and I said, if you do nothing else, move your body, meditate, and, um, and journal. Those were the three things. If you do nothing else and the power of the written word too, to also go from those negative to positive affirmations, writing it enough times, your body believes it, it believes what you're writing. And then it attracts it into the field and all these, all these wonderful things. I love that you touched on meditation and journaling because I started with transcendental meditation, which I know the average person doesn't, but mm -hmm. I'm here to say that it doesn't matter where you start or what you do. Um, no meditation community out there is going to be, you know, standoffish or whatnot, um, or, you know, too good to have you. But I walked into transcendental meditation and I just started doing it and transcendental for any of your listeners that may not have tried it, you know, it's just silent meditation with a mantra to yourself. Um, and the mantra is assigned to you. You're given like a word that is your mantra. And I've never told anybody my mantra word, mm. but I, I started to vocalize it to myself in meditation or group setting. And before that I had gone there because the scary thing about being a heart patient and part of what contributes to mental health problems in heart patients and I hear this a lot actually from heart patients is you're oversensitive to the beating of your own heart. So mm. whenever you have any intervention in the heart, the pericardium, which is like the protective buffer on your heart that keeps you from feeling your heartbeats so hard is, is broken, is busted. And so then you're more sensitive to the beating of your own heart in your body, sometimes to the point of where you feel your head literally bouncing to the heartbeat. Mm. Um, so it can be maddening because here you are trying to forget about the fact that you have had a heart procedure or have heart disease or a complication, right? Here you are trying to forget and your friends and family are like, just forget about it. <laughs> but you've got this maddening reminder following you everywhere you go, no matter what. And when you sit down to try to relax or meditate or watch TV or read, it's like thumping. And you're trying, but you can't. So it's very like Edgar Allan Poe-ish, you know, telltale heart. Like, <laughs> not that you killed somebody, but, you know, it's it's just, it's maddening. Mm. And when I started Transcendental, where I started to focus on the mantra word, and I was so focused on, I want to be able to meditate. I want to be able to do this. I found myself forgetting about the sensation of my heart beating. Mm. And it was magical. And then I was like, I want to do this again. I want to do this again. And then I eventually got to a point where I 
forgot about it. I didn't pay attention to the, the, the beating of my heart. And so I could overcome that maddening sensation. Mm. And journaling really helped me as well. Um, I, I it, Just being able to write down your thoughts at times when you feel like you can't tell anyone. Um, when you have those very scary and dark thoughts that we never talk about. Um, suicidal thoughts. Um, writing them down to give you objective perspective on your thoughts especially if you're not feeling like yourself or you're like, am I really thinking that? Huh? You start to almost analyze and I'm a consultant. So I tend to do this, but I start to started to analyze myself. Like, am I really feeling that way? What can I do about it? And then you start to journal things to do about it. And so instead of just thinking about how you're feeling, you start to go into like remedy mode. And maybe even like, if you geek out on me, like me on, on these type of things, you start to flow chart stuff <laughs> And, <laughs> and then you're like, whoa, wait, journaling is giving me all of a sudden I have a roadmap uh, that I've developed just from stream of consciousness writing down, you know, dark moments um, and, and, and just letting it all out. Mm -hmm. And the interesting thing for me is um, most people think that when I say that I'm an author, that I wrote a book or they find my book they assume it's going to be a consulting book or a self-help book or whatever. And it wasn't, it was a book about the story of my family. My dad was a spy, a U.S. spy for nine years. And I found solace in just being able to write because journaling was so cathartic for me that I found myself writing and escaping and creating all these different stories. And sometimes there were the nightmares I was having from PTSD, but nonetheless, they were stories. Just writing um, helped me really develop a healthy escape, not from my thoughts or myself, but from distancing that person that I couldn't recognize anymore to becoming myself again and having more, I hate to use the word control, but to me, it's a positive one. Having more governance over how I was feeling and what I was doing with those feelings. And I was like, wait, it doesn't control me anymore. Like I'm creating something out of these crazy stories and nightmares and whatever. But then I exercised that in the story of my father that I've always wanted to write as a book that I had hidden as a screenplay. And then the parallels in that story of him as a spy and the secrecy and the betrayals and everything and the stuff mm -hmm. that I was feeling and hiding who, who I was what I was going through. Um, the first heart surgery, I hid it from all my team because I felt it was a weakness until mm. it became, you know, a mental health thing. And then it made me realize that I shouldn't have done that. Um, but, you know, the secrecy behind all of that and the vulnerability um, had a lot of parallel to the story about my dad as a spy and how I wrote it out as a book. And it sounds like a weird way to correlate or exercise my need for um, mental health support. Um, but that's where journaling took me into becoming an author. Wow. That's a, I love the, the parallels that you see in there and it really speaks to how beautiful the written word is. And especially that there's resolution in your journaling. I find a lot of that comes through for me as well, where I'm like, again, I, I love what you said, where did I really just write that? Is that really how I feel? And sometimes it's like, shit, is that really like, you know, cause we'll be harsh 
And then yeah. all of a sudden you're like, oh, is there is it really like that? And and that can evoke emotions. I've done that a lot for for breakups um, in the last two years is like writing a note to them that I never intend to give them after I'm done or I actually have ended up giving it to them, but just writing either a note of gratitude or writing a note of all the things that I felt in the end and then allowing that to be the catalyst for releasing the emotion and going into the spaciousness and going into the healing. Um, it's so incredible. Just Yeah. Yeah. I can see that. I can see that because you, you write down things that you wanted to say. And um, even if you think about people who you, who you love, who have passed and you mm -hmm. think about what would I want to tell them if I wrote a letter to them, what would it say? There's so much therapy in that mm -hmm. where you've, you've documented this and you, and you can have it somewhere as a keepsake. Um, and you've kind of collected a part of, you know, almost like a part of them that you feel you always wanted to say or whatever. And so, yeah, I, I love hearing that and the way you phrase that because I, you know, my experience with journaling is mine, but hearing what you said, it's interesting how much more power it has. Mm. I mean, to, just to go off on a semi-related segue, but like I, I was writing a book once um, that I, I didn't finish because I got really hung up on writing kind of this like about me section and why people should listen to what I'm about to say and how to discover happiness. And I, I went on this, like, I spent days just writing what was becoming my autobiography. And like five days later, I reach out to my mentor and I'm like, Hey, like I've spent five days in what's turned into like 20, 30 pages, which is way too long for my book to this. And I'm not even into like, I'm barely into college now describing my life. And, um, and he was like, just move on, you know, move on. But what I, what I went back and, and realized as I analyzed it was that, uh, for starters, like you had said, I had accomplished so many more things in my life than I was giving myself credit for at that time. And also this, this, um, stress this uh, challenging relationship I've had with my mother my entire life through writing about my childhood and whatnot, I discovered that she was my biggest antagonist. And she came, I, you know, I believe that as souls, we, we come to be in bodies that are going to have a predetermined set of outcomes of a life that we want to live and experience. And I really, it gave me the chance to step back and go, Oh my gosh, my mom is has disagreed with me for almost everything I've wanted to do in my entire life. And she is the reason that I've been able to overcome almost every hurdle put in front of me because she gave me practice at what happens when someone tells you no and you want to turn that no into a yes. She and I stepped back and thought how challenging that must be for her soul's journey to come into this life to have an only child, a daughter, and to show up for the purpose of, of being that child's biggest antagonist, to create who I am today so that I can be of great service to the masses. Um, and, and what a challenge that must have, that must be for yeah. her as well. And it just gave me so much more compassion that now I'm also able to like step back and, and laugh whenever she says no, or she just, now when she disagrees with something, I'm like, ah, I'm on the right track. And, um, it's so much more compassion for 
our relationship now where it, it changed everything. It changed my relationship with my mom completely. She's still exactly who she is. And through doing the work on me, we, we now have a much healthier, more loving relationship. Thanks to Ray. Yeah. yeah. It can, I love that. And, and, you know, it's not just journaling for ourselves, but it's journaling about our relationships with people and how, and how you can almost begin to understand other people when you just journal your thoughts and take them outside of your head. Mm-hmm. Um, so I need to try that in terms of my relationships with other people because, you know, I was a little busy overcoming mental health hurdles for the last sure. few years. <laughs> so <laughs> you know, I was getting in my own way versus people getting in my way. So now that I, you know, challenged the, 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 the scary Ivan, right? away from the, the, the actual Ivan to, um, you know, I, I, I love that being able to journal for relationships with not just relationships with anybody in our lives, but also just looking at it from, um, further than that, like all the dimensions of our life mm. and journaling, think about journaling. Like I love sometimes checking, this is a little too technical and some of my friends think it's really annoying. But I like the idea of going through all the dimensions of your life and and checking them off to see, wait, have I paid attention to all of these lately? Like dimensions of life for some some listeners who may not be as geeked out on, on meditation yet, um, you know, like relationships, emotions, finance, uh, whatever, right? All the dimensions, mm-hmm. um, spirituality, knowledge. When you go through all of them and you're like, what have I not paid attention to lately? And then you're like, and this happened to me many times. Oh, I haven't paid attention to four out of the seven or eight, depending which model you follow. I haven't paid attention to four out of them. That's why I'm off balance. Mm-hmm. So then I started to realize, wait, I need to go pay more attention to um, uh, relationships because I'm like 90% into career and finances. Mm-hmm. And then you realize that's why I'm off balance, but I like to do that. And I think journaling can also help you achieve consistency in staying balanced in that sense, because you're like looking at it. Like I just did on my desk. I had to kind of think about all seven or eight. Um, But I like the idea of journaling doing that because then you, then you really visualize it and take it out of your head and judge it like objectively, not judge it. That's not a good term for yourself, but like analyze it objectively rather than, you know, convincing yourself in your head that it's all great, you know, cause you had coffee with a friend and you know, like, <laughs> one <laughs> coffee for the week. <laughs> that's social, it. No social more. criteria check. <laughs> uh yeah, that reminds me of, um, I was just in Austin for a month and a half visiting, um, my, my soul Alliance partner, Nate, not partner, best friend, his name's Alex. And, um, we did so much, we played so much there. Like he and I and are so in tune with the childlike sense of play. And, and I'm, I'm sitting right now with a working theory that there's a very, there's a difference between like adult fun and adult play and really honing in on a childlike sense of play. And the childlike sense of play is 
is like adult fun and play, but like on steroids. And that is the true magic that like Jesus, for instance, was always referencing. Like we have to view the world through a child's eyes. We have to um, come back into that childlike sense to, to walk into the kingdom of heaven. That is the kingdom of heaven. And there is so much healing in that play. And as I've now gotten back to my real life in Huntington Beach, um, I'm constantly looking around being like, man, I I have friends that I laugh with. I have friends that I enjoy and I have, and I don't see them nearly as often as I would like. Um, But there's that childlike sense of play that specifically I'm like, shit, I'm going to have to work really hard to cultivate that. And I see the power of what it brings and how it raises the frequency, my frequency. And then my frequency raise, raising the frequency of those around me and, and like play specifically, who can I curate and craft that with? Who do I know already has childlike sense of play? How do we get together more often? How do I convince myself to work less and get together more often? I love that. I, you just gave me a little bit of an epiphany moment here because you know, you look at, and sorry to make, go go corporate on this, but I promise it's going to be a fun conversation. I mean, easy for me to say, but um, I'll let you guys be the judge of that. I I look back at brands like Red Bull and Muscle Milk and a ton of other brands around the world, right, that are not just in the beverage space, like all categories that are true, like lifestyle brands that have great company cultures. Um, I think Patagonia is another one. And part of the magic there is that people can dive into their inner child Mm -hmm. and really let loose and play and think creatively and not feel like they're being um, over-parented. And if they are, because I saw a lot of people at Red Bull actually come in where they were pretty, pretty parented and they kind of broke that mold and really let their inner child out especially during some of our best, most fun, creative brainstorming sessions. And I think that's the magic where what you just said is, I'm, I'm seriously having an epiphany moment. I, what also makes those companies so special is aside from community and good culture and just happy vibes, right? It's you're allowing people the ability to like also nurture some of their other dimensions outside mm-hmm. of just like career, finance, like, People feel at home and especially if they can bring out their inner child, right? There's so much power to that. And you touch on emotions and you touch on relationships and you become real and fun. Mm-hmm. And and all of it just sort of magically comes together. And it's so funny, right? How we literally have the formula to like what makes a culture great um, in any setting. I'm just using the business example. And yet... Um, we're quote too busy to do it and it should be the priority because we're humans yeah and what i noticed you're only gonna be here so long yeah and everything gets everything gets so much easier when i i noticed in myself when i am most played and most self-loved and most self-looked after i easily attract clients into my field. I have so much fun with everything that I'm creating. It doesn't feel like work. It feels like flow. I stop time with how in-depth I get into what everything that I'm doing and I'm loving life. I'm so full of happiness and it 
it comes, it's curated by being so well played. It should be a priority. Absolutely. Hmm. And I think that's where, where, you know, that's when we reconnected and you shared everything that you were doing, like now, right now, during this conversation, I realize like what you do doesn't just apply to like an individual or somebody going through something like what I was going through where I need some sort of human intervention in my life, but Mm -hmm. just anybody, any company, any corporation, right. Could use this, this ability to, to reset, but much easier said than done. You need outward influence. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure that's why most of your clients, if not all your clients, you know, come to you because they've realized that, but also, um, you know, companies, brands that have been around for so long that have taken on this persona that people feel like they know, like, you know, a Nike or Coca-Cola, um, they need some of that intervention every now and then too, from a cultural community, you know, whatever standpoint, Absolutely. because they take on an identity. And you don't know what you don't know. And if someone else knows how to get you there faster, it's money well spent. Yeah. Amen. <laughs> Coming from a consultant. <laughs> and so, oh gosh, I have enjoyed this conversation so much. We, we're getting towards the end of it. You have an, a book that just came out. Where can my listeners find it? What's the name of it? Ooh, thank you. So it's called Isla Vulnerable, which means Vulnerable Island. Uh, the title's in Spanish, but it's all in English. Well, the title and my name are in Spanish. Sneaky. <laughs> sneaky, sneaky. <laughs> but it's on in, all in English. And um, and it's available. I have a website. It's Ivan Luis, L-U-I-Z, Hernandez.com. And all the bookstores that it's in right now are listed there. So I'll say, please support your local bookshops when you can. And then where you don't have one in your city, um, you know, there's always the big... Um, yellow um arrow happy face thing that you can go to (laughs) we'll have that linked up in the show notes for sure (laughs) but thank you it's um it it sounds it's not a political book it's not a spy novel um there's four Mm -hmm. parts and each part is almost like a different genre um there's a biography element to it there's a thriller element there's a an espionage element and there's a romantic suspense element to it Ooh, all core concepts, all those checking the boxes in the the book yeah. <laughs> category. Four different escapes. Ooh. <laughs> I look forward to checking it out. And are there any other ways for any of my clients who might be interested in, in consulting with you, hiring you on as a consultant? What's the best way for them to get in touch with you? Thank you. Uh, same on my website, I actually have a page that it says consulting and then that page will direct to the whole separate website, which is my consulting business. So I, I appreciate that. Yeah, Yeah. this was great too, Barrett. Um, I really enjoyed catching up. It feels like the catch up we needed from the last few phone calls. So this was cool. (laughs) Yeah. They were like the introduction to be able to have this podcast in a a depth of understanding that um, has flowed really beautifully. Totally agreed. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing your knowledge and sharing your story and 
um, and for being an advocate for mental health. That is just such an important journey that you're on. And I, I see you and I thank you. And we'll also have your social linked up in the show notes. And so thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you. And I just want to say one more thing. Um, what you do for uh, in general, but also I think for the heart patient community, I think there's so much to be explored there. And I just want to say, obviously, every heart patient knows that they have to go check with their cardiologist, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, before they do or try anything new. But I think there's a lot to explore there from a natural standpoint when it comes to mental health. And so um, I hope to, well, I will be speaking with you more because it would be neat to explore that further and see how we can help heart patients um, yes. expand their toolbox. Hmm, exactly. Have tools, know how to use them most importantly, and have an expansive exactly. toolbox. Absolutely. So thank you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Bye, Barrett. <laughs>